talk about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way it might be really good. Hello and welcome to It's Got Accepted Sucks, a movie by movie and television series by television series hurtled through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time we're stepping outside the Marvel Cinematic Universe and into the multiverse for a look at Venom set in Sony's Spider-Verse and originally released in October 2018. Technically this places it somewhere between the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. finding the other half of the Chronicon vessel and Principal Tormund A. of Franklin D. Roosevelt High School Ohio finding out she was actually Judge Renslayer and, you guessed it, there's absolutely no crossover with either of them. I'm Tim Worthington and we'll be finding out what I thought of Venom shortly. Meanwhile, joining me to give his thoughts on Venom is musician Gareth Hirons. Gareth, where can people find you? They can find me presenting the podcast Retrospecticus, The Simpsons and Modern History, Together at Last, with my good friend Tom Williamson. We're just back after a very long hiatus, but you can also catch me playing the bass for Liverpool-based hardcore band Code Break. Okay, so before we go any further, Gareth, what happens in Venom? Elon Musk discovers alien life. But the aliens are symbiotic, (laughs) and they can only survive if they bond with humans. Journalist Eddie Brock discovers that Elon's doing experimentation on humans through his girlfriend, who is a lawyer working for Elon. And from there, Brock's life falls completely apart, until a chance encounter with one of the aliens gives him a new best friend, whilst also arguably making his life even worse. I couldn't put it any better than that if I tried. But Gareth, how much did you know about Venom before you saw this film? Well, it's a weird one, because I didn't know Venom originally from comics. I was aware that he was a Spider-Man villain, but I basically didn't know anything else about either Eddie Brock or Venom the symbiote. But I picked him up in an unusual source, which is the original Spider-Man game for the PS1. Venom's in it as a boss, but then allies with Spider-Man to take on Carnage and Doctor Octopus. And there are other unnamed symbiotes in that game as well so that caused me to look into the whole thing in more detail it's amazing what a sort of cross-section of the venom experience was actually in those few levels of that game just getting the feel for the character their relationship to spider-man their relationship to the other symbiotes and he's well served by video games as well he's actually got a couple of his own in separation anxiety and maximum carnage but he's also one of my favorite characters in marvel versus capcom so the bizarre sight of him fighting chun Li is something that i'm kind of quite used to and I've got to say, once I discovered the character, I was fascinated. It's a good, bizarre, cosmic, imaginative idea. And the character has since become very popular as an anti-hero, like a kind of a gooey punisher. Well, this is one character where I can actually say I was in on the ground level with, because Venom actually came in in the mid-80s in the big Marvel crossover series Secret Wars. Long story short, on Battleworld, Spider-Man's costume is destroyed. He gets a new one fashioned by it. It's a whole long story, but this machine that's on Battleworld that can basically turn your thoughts into reality and he gets this cool black and white costume which later turns out to be as you say an alien symbiote which turned into a thread in the comics for a while the interesting thing was I'd always assumed because Secret Wars was supposed to be like the launching pad for a huge multimedia cross-platform it was supposed to be Marvel's big break and it didn't turn out that way the only thing that really happened was the toy line and I assumed for a long time there was a toy manufacturer that said it'll be easier to make a Spider-Man that's black and white can you change him please but apparently it was a reader 
Spider wrote in and suggested the storyline in which Spider-Man's possessed by a new costume. And it was just an absolute coincidence of time and place that they were doing this big crossover story where they could do it. And the reader was actually paid a creative's fee for thinking it up. So, you know, good on Marvel there. They didn't just steal the idea. You know, they adapted it for themselves, but they actually gave the due credit, I suppose, to the person who originally thought it up. But yeah, there's that whole long thing of the initial Venom story, as we're sure we'll come back to, was kind of done in Spider-Man 3, but done very, very badly. And Venom has hopped between a number of hosts over the years, including people like the Scorpion, Flash Thompson, Thunderbolt Ross, and, you know, developed very quickly into this anti-hero who, I think it's through bonding with Peter Parker, really, develops like a conscience and a desire to do good despite doing good not being Venom's nature. This is, although it is based on the Lethal Protector volume of Venom, it kind of, it's doing its own thing, which is interesting because the whole background to this was, long story short, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people listening are familiar with this, but Sony, not long before the Marvel Cinematic Universe started, had bought the rights to, I think, around 90-odd characters associated with Spider-Man. And they've got some kind of deal now where I think it's, as long as they do whatever a spider can every eight months or something, they get to keep the rights (laughs) to them. But it's reputatively, I suppose because they've done the Tom Holland Spider-Man films in association with Marvel, which would work really well. This and Morbius, which we won't talk about too much, but it was originally supposed to come out 12 months after this, were originally supposed to be not set within the MCU per se, but to have crossover with the Tom Holland films. And they changed that and tried to make it into its own thing. And I don't think either really properly worked because of that. But I'm interested to see what your thoughts on that are. Well, I think the one thing you touched on there is sort of the origin of the story itself. And yeah, it is Lethal Protector, essentially. The arc in which Venom moves to San Francisco as part of a truce with Spider-Man. Basically, Spider-Man says, go off and do your own thing. I'm not going to mess with you, but like, we probably have to be apart. So off he goes. The Life Foundation, which is Elon Musk, I will give him the character his proper name eventually, his company, that's from there. It's set in San Francisco. And Riot, who's the main antagonist, is also taken from that arc. And there's also some stuff from 1995's Planet of the Symbiotes in there. But other than the idea of a symbiote invasion of Earth, I can't actually see many specifics that he took from it. This is effectively Lethal Protector, the film. The problem and the question, I guess, that this film asks is, can you do a Venom film without Spider-Man because there is no Venom without Spider-Man in terms of the canonistic character in the Marvel Universe they just can't exist the answer to that question is sort of (laughs) so we do get tiny little nods to it tiny little nods like for instance John Jameson is the astronaut who discovers the the symbiotes so that's kind of that's a a definitive link to Spider-Man they do actually pretty successfully I think gloss over the large Spider-Man shaped hole in the plot by finding other ways of explaining Venom's powers and why they're a bit like Spider-Man's the explanation to that is largely duh he's an alien he can do anything so it's like okay I buy that. That's fair enough. I've got to say, though, I held off from watching this for a long time because I just didn't think it could be done. And I wasn't even sure it should be done, really, without Spider-Man. But, you know, another thing you mentioned before, obviously, this is the realisation of a vision that arguably shouldn't have been held on to in the first place, which is the idea of a Venom film that could have starred Topher Grace, who played both Eddie Brock and Venom in Sam Raimi's version of Spider-Man 3 from 2007, which would place it in the Tobey Maguire continuity. Also, Venom was planned for amazing Spider-Man 3 and Amazing Spider-Man 4 and therefore to be part of the Andrew Garfield continuity. Now, the keenly observant amongst us may have noticed that neither of those two films exist. They just didn't happen. 
And so once again, the motivation for Sony making a Venom film kind of disappears. So now I can only really see this as trying to piggyback on the success of the MCU by doing the thing closest to it that you've got. But it's off in this weird Sony Spider-Verse, which of course doesn't include Spider-Man, somehow now includes the vulture that was in the MCU, but it's preposterous, Tim. It's absolutely preposterous. This whole thing should, by rights, never have been made. And when it eventually was, the whole point of the existence of the title character couldn't be referenced. Ah, I am getting myself a little worked up, but I would say it does work. It does work, but it's just so difficult to divorce myself from that concept. It really, really is. And you mentioned Spider-Man 3 there. I mean, the whole background to that is that, let's be honest about this, that film does not work at all. It does the original Venom story arc very, very flimsily. It's very badly cast. I mean, no, I like Topher Grace. I am a huge fan of that 70s show, but he was not right as Eddie Brock, whereas Tom Hardy, who, I'm just going to say this, to me, he will always be the bloke out of BBC 4's disastrous remake of lost early 60s sci-fi serial A for Andromeda, which Charlie Cox, the MCU Daredevil, was also in. He is brilliant as Eddie Brock. He gets the... It's not even pathos, is it? It's like I can kind of resign this, and I'll come back to that in relation to the rest of the film in a minute. But originally, this was the cause of the whole fallout. Sam Raimi didn't want to do Venom because he felt it wouldn't work. And also, Todd McFarlane, who, you know, a reader technically created Venom, but he was the writer who wrote the first arc. He dismissed completely the idea of a Venom film saying it's not going to work because if you can't have Spider-Man in you can't then make him an anti-hero so it's not going to work but Sony's attitude I still don't understand this was they were on the record as having said Sam Raimi concentrated on the villains he thought were good rather than what the young people wanted to see so let's do something really dark and moody and you know that didn't work for the third Spider-Man film here they've taken that kind of idea of something dark and they've made it work but there's a real disconnect between I put in my notes when I was watching it the rest of the cast want to be in Lost and Tom Hardy wants to be Deadpool (laughs) and the two things don't quite work together it works in Venom Let There Be Carnage where the whole film is a lot more attuned to his betrayal of it but it's like everyone else is in a different film and his performance really stands out but I wouldn't say it stands out in a positive way because it highlights how much the rest of it misfires the thing that I particularly like about Tom Hardy's performance is that he is he definitely looks after himself he's in good shape I'm, I'm told he's an attractive person he's not really my speed but to each their own and the best thing that he manages to do in this film is make you forget all of that because he constantly looks ill and sweaty and greasy and shivery. He looks like he's on constant withdrawal of some sort, which really makes sense, because one of the things that's introduced in this that isn't necessarily part of the comics canon, but has been explored at times, is that he has to keep Venom fed, and Venom eats brains, primarily. He can eat other things, but brains are the things that keep him the most well-fed and nourished. If he's not nourished, Eddie Brock's organs start to fail, because he takes nutrients from Brock himself. So perhaps the best compliment I can pay Hardy is that I truly believed he was on the verge of massive organ failure throughout this film. That's a very strange compliment to pay someone, really. You are right, though, about, you know, he manages to balance that with laughs. And the rest of the film, you know, it's like nearly two hours long. It does not need to be. There are bits that really, really drag, like particularly the montage that introduces Eddie in his career as a journalist. It's too long. It's like nearly about two minutes. And it should have just been, you know, the opening titles of his show. Eddie Brock with boots on the ground today in the Mission District chasing a lead Everybody into some unexpected Silicon Valley place. overlords at Google, Last Facebook, time I was poking around asking uncomfortable questions. Homelessness is only increasing into the thousands. 
Eddie Brock here, reporting today from downtown Oakland, where massive demonstrations have taken over the streets. I've been chasing this real estate bribery story for a few weeks now. This is going to piss you off. All being strong-armed, medical examiner has yet to determine cause of death due to the condition of the body, but you don't wind up at the bottom of a landfill due to natural causes, so it seems that the city doesn't care about these people any more than the killer does. I'm Eddie Brock, and this is The Brock Report. Nobody needed that much exposition. As a car chase where... You know when you look at car chases in the actual MCU, you've got things like Ant-Man and the Wasp with a giant Pez dispenser flying <laughs> down the street. Stan Lee thinking he's hallucinating a shrinking car. Black Widow saying at long last is lasting a little long, boys. People skidding down the highway on Captain America's shield. You've got that amazing thing where Nick Fury's car is riddled with bullets by Hydra. And when they go to it, he's not there. He's disappeared. This is just a long car chase without even any real joke in it there are just stunts that aren't really that impressive everything's very dark and moody the climactic battle is a bit too much cgi thing hitting another cgi thing there's not enough variety in it there's a really good story underneath it all and you know you mentioned elon musk it does actually predate the space bothering of those characters but that sort of gets lost underneath stuff that doesn't need to be there almost absolutely i mean you touched on the climactic battle there and i'm just gonna steer into that for a second so the antagonist in this film well the antagonist is Carlton Drake basically who we have called Elon Musk up until now played by Riz Ahmed in a fantastically slimy performance um, really nailing the character of a moral billionaire you have a lot of reference material to go from for that one it's a good performance but yeah he winds up bonding with one of the other symbiotes and here comes a slight problem who is Venom's arch nemesis it's Spider-Man and if it's not Spider-Man it's Carnage and you can't use Carnage straight away for reasons that will probably go into later in this very episode so who do you do and they're using basically another symbiote called riot and riot is one of the ones in lethal protector that is actually one of venom's sons so venom reproduces asexually as you'd expect for a weird goo monster and riot is one of the ones that comes off him they do an all right job of explaining why riot is a problem in terms of he's a special kind of symbiote that can make better weapons i suppose out of his own body i think is how they explain that one whereas venom isn't that type so there's a bit of a mismatch but it's just kind of it's just two bits of goo punching each other for what appears to be three hours i can see why they didn't use carnage you know you can't set all of that up and do eddie brock's backstory and introduce the symbiotes and have the love triangle and that in itself took two hours so you don't want to introduce cletus cassidy Uh, so i think they've made the best of a bad situation but i'll always suspect it's another of these situations where my knowledge of venom is actually taking away from my enjoyment of this film if i just looked at it as he he look at the two monsters fight Maybe I would have enjoyed it a bit more, but I'm just there going, ah, no, this is ridiculous. Which is ridiculous in itself, because, like I say, it's two goo monsters punching each other. And it was always going to be two goo monsters punching each other. So what am I complaining about? Well, I really think you're onto something there, because my history with this is, I wasn't expecting much from it, and I went to see it in the cinema, I really didn't like it. I gave it another go when it turned up on Channel 4, I think I made it to the second ad break and thought, I've got paint drying that needs watching. (laughs) But after I really enjoyed Let There Be Carnage, I thought I'd give this another go. And I didn't 
mind it. It isn't what I wanted. It isn't what I expected it to be. But coming to it again, maybe appreciate it. It's not. It's been given a very rough ride on movie review sites. It is an okay film. It's good rather than great. But it kind of, despite the mismatch that talks about, it does what it set out to do. I don't think you can really expect more because you know Sony don't really know what they're doing with these Spider-Man characters. I mean, at this stage, they've had nine films in their franchise, one of which has been outstanding, one of which has been very, very good, and the rest have varied from above average to why did anyone bother? I think the point has come where they should just sign all these characters back over to Marvel, really, and stop cutting the nose off to spite their face. Even as somebody who quite enjoyed Morbius for what it was, I do think that now. Whereas that's inverse to, if you look at the MCU, you know, it's the handful of films that don't work kind of stand out. You know, in the Spider-Verse, like I've just said, you've got two that you can point to and say, they're the good ones. Whereas with the other, you couldn't even count the ones that you think are good on two hands in the MCU. You know, you've got Age of Ultron, Thor, The Dark World, which are all right, but not brilliant. That's why I think Sony are, you know, heading in a dead-end street with what they're trying to do. But maybe they can pull it out of the bag. But I'm surprised by how much I have enjoyed this on re-watching compared to what I thought of it initially. I think there's the core of a really good film there. What I think is, it's maybe not a Venom film in some ways so let me tell you what my favourite thing in the film is and this I assume will surprise you because you know I'm cheating into a superhero film for the superhero stuff essentially so you know the CGI the crashes etc etc and all of that was meh it was okay I liked the love triangle I genuinely thought that was good so I think Michelle Williams is great as Anne who's Eddie's girlfriend and then almost immediately his ex-girlfriend like 20 minutes into the film and also I thought Reed Scott was really good Reed Scott plays her new boyfriend Dan and it's like Dan's a doctor and Dan's stable and doesn't do stupid things like risk your career to further his own career or you know pair with a symbiotic alien of some sort he's actually though surprisingly sympathetic in that role so he should be adversarial we as an audience should be going boo boo the other man because we want Michelle Williams and Eddie Brock to get together but he does a great job of just showing you he's actually the better choice and as i alluded to loses her job with the life foundation because eddie uses something in her research in his interview with carlton drake so they have spent there's like about a six month jump in the film quite early on and they've spent all that time apart they do continue to interact after that it's clear that Anne sort of genuinely cares about eddie brock but not necessarily in a romantic way anymore but in a kind of a recognizable residual way i suppose where you know the relationship has ended because of one single flashpoint and enough times pass by where they're able to sort of think well there were good things about this the only thing that Dan as her new boyfriend really does wrong is just be a bit boring compared to the motorcycle riding investigative journalist bad boy who harbours a stretchy alien intelligence within his own body I mean we've all been there we've all been there don't put that as your bumble bio if you're listening <laughs> But one thing that they really do to hammer it home, but in a subtle way, in a subtle way, I think, is to have a visual metaphor of that continued bond by having Venom bond with Anne, which I just really thought that worked. Like, in the context of the human story they were trying to tell, rather than the more cosmic one, obviously, it seemed like it was a bit that could have been saved for a sequel. Then putting it in the first film kind of reminded me of Groot dying in Guardians of the Galaxy. It's like, it's a ballsy move for the first film in the series to use something that you could have really built 
built up to straight away. And I think it was when I saw that, I thought, they're going to do a sequel to this because if they're doing this now. They must have a plan for how all this is going to work out. Well, we'll see, obviously. The other thing I found out was that Michelle Williams was actually super excited to be She-Venom. So she might have actually insisted on that being in the film for it to happen in the first place. So it might not be the genius piece of visual metaphor that I think it is. But yeah, I just think it's a nice little thing for her, obviously. A nice little thing for fans who thought they'd never get to see it on screen. Yeah, I really thought Michelle Williams was brilliant in this. She just captures the look so well of somebody who... It's in their performance, in their physicality. Somebody who's been in this relationship that, you know, just ends up out of not through her own choice for a long time. And has kind of got comfortable and settled with it, but bored as well. And kind of hasn't quite let her appearance go, but is heading in that direction. She swaps back into that in the moments where she kind of reconnects with Eddie again. I think that's a fantastic performance. What's interesting going forward, though, is, as you say, you know, there was a sequel being set up. And we'll come back to the direct setup for it in a second. But obviously, there has been Venom Let There Be Carnage. And there has been that wonderful post credit scene in Spider-Man No Way Home with Eddie and Venom sort of phasing into the Marvel Universe, finding out what happened with Thanos and everything, and then immediately disappearing. <laughs> but a piece of Venom remains behind. So it's clear that Marvel are going to do their own thing with Venom, which is going to be interesting because, you know, you've got, as I've speculated on here before, you know, Flash is an obvious candidate, which would be great, or MJ, or there are real possibilities there. And do you think they'll do something different with him or him? with Venom with Entity, shall we say? I think the MCU is well poised to use Venom in his its. Shall we say its for now? Uh, it is. <laughs> it's not Venom at the start of Monty Python's Flying Circus. Would be an interesting <laughs> thing. <laughs> but yeah, in the traditional Venom role, shall we say, of Spider-Man antagonist. So what you have is in that tiny bit at the end of that film, which I've picked over so many times, just kind of thinking, what could this lead to? Where could it go? And what you have is a symbiote or part of a symbiote a damaged symbiote shall we say that kind of is Venom kind of isn't Venom as well and the last thing it will remember is it was meant to find Peter Parker but I would say Venom being introduced well I assume this will be I think we both assume this will be Venom being introduced to the MCU was not even the thing I was most excited about from the end of that Spider-Man film or the possibilities that they gave themselves with that that one film which may well have been I mean obviously I'm not here to review that one but it may have been my favourite MCU film full stop the possibilities they've opened up with that are fantastic and Venom is but one moving part which does kind of make you wish they left Morbius untampered with rather than (laughs) trying retroactively to tie it in with that ending because uh, those are the bits of that that don't work but thankfully moving on to something in the Spider-Verse that does work in the post credit scene we get Woody Harrelson as Cletus Cassidy almost basically showing up and saying this is how you do it everyone in a couple of seconds of screen time he really grows grabs the entire movie by the collar and lifts it up a notch, I think. I think it is possibly the best minute or so of acting that I may have seen. Full stop. Yeah, I'm going to double down on that because Woody Harrelson is an actor. Absolutely loved him in Natural Born Killers, for instance. That could have been such a one-dimensional shock horror role. And I thought he really brought something to that. Leaving aside his outrageous red wig for a second, it was a moment that showed an audience that may not have been familiar with Venom that something something was coming, if you see what I mean. That the sequel was going to be, was going to ramp up from there. And of course, if you know the comics, and you know that Eddie Brock is going to see Cletus Cassidy, then you know exactly where this is going. And it's not a pleasant place, but it's going to be an interesting ride. But that red wig, you are right about that. It did make me wonder who's going to fight Hamburglar in the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> 
They'd have to work together because Venom does like a burger. He does, yeah. Well, I mean, we've often speculated as to hamburglars alignment in the MCU. And I, and I guess if it's in the Sony Spider-Verse, that's even more complicated. And the other post credit scene we get is a scene from Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Not necessarily the scene that I would have chosen to unveil this amazing new film, but what did you think of that? Had you seen Into the Spider-Verse when you first saw Venom? Yeah, yeah, which probably, I mean, definitely didn't put me in the target audience for this scene. I think you're right. I think it's an odd choice of scene. Maybe it was all that was ready at that point, though. I did wonder about that. That's a possibility. The other thing is, it's a bit of a tonal shift as well. Into the Spider-Verse, I'm not going to say it's necessarily for children, but it's definitely child-friendly in a way that Venom is most definitely not. Listen, I can see exactly why you would look at this from a film exec point of view and go, oh, we're doing this other Spider-Man thing. Whack a trailer for that at the end. But like, I don't know. For me, it's quite a jarring shift, I think. I mean, you wouldn't do it the other way around. Let's put it that way. You wouldn't close Into the Spider-Verse with a trailer for Let There Be Carnage. I mean, I'd love it if it did, but it's, you know, (laughs) again, I don't think morally I could recommend that. Okay, well, there's only one thing left for me to ask now. Gareth, Wayne Perry, who was Dr. Lloyd Emerson in Venom, was also the board teacher in Spider-Man Homecoming and Peter Scarborough in Cloak and Dacker. So who was best? Well, that wasn't the question I was expecting to be asked. I'd prepared an answer about attacking the Tory government with Venom powers. Sorry, we're in the multiverse now. We've <laughs> got to play by the interdimensional rules. I think he was best in, in Cloak and Dagger, just for the whole sort of Godzilla versus Hedera pollution angle myself. <laughs> Call it by its proper name, Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. That's true, with the Japanese Donovan. Gareth, thank you, and Excelsior. Excelsior! If you've enjoyed this, don't forget you can buy more editions of It's Good Except It Sucks and plenty more besides, including details of my book Can't Help Thinking About Me at timworthington.org.